Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, and the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. First and foremost, before we go any further, first things first, I'll take this opportunity to apologize to the Denver Nuggets, Denver Nuggets fans, residents of the city of Denver, Colorado, I apologize to John Elway, to Peyton Manning, Terrell Davis, Ed McCaffrey, Shannon Sharp, Mike Shanahan, Dan Issel, Robert Pack, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Brian Stith, Dikembe Mutombo. I apologize to each and every one of you. I'm sorry to Patrick Waugh, to uh, Joe Sackick, to Adam Forsberg, to Ray Bork. I apologize. I am sorry to anybody and everybody who lives or ever has lived Inside the state of Colorado, Denver Nuggets fans, Denver residents, I apologize. I'm sorry profusely. I cannot be any more contrite in my apologies right now. As a lifelong fan of the Los Angeles Lakers, I was arrogant. I was cocky. I was pretentious. I had a very much elitist attitude about the NBA playoffs and the NBA Western Conference Finals, I sat here on this podcast and I said the Lakers can go to the NBA Finals. Clearly, I was wrong. It's okay to admit when you're wrong. Just because you talk about sports into a microphone, just because you express your opinions, does not mean you are incapable of being incorrect. Quite frankly, a lot of people who do this are incorrect on a regular, consistent, frequent basis, and they never apologize. At least I'm man enough to say I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. I underestimated your basketball team. The Denver Nuggets are the best basketball team in the Western Conference, clearly the number one seed coming into these NBA playoffs, and they are four wins away from being NBA champions for the very first time. They kicked the Lakers' ass. As a Laker fan, I don't mind saying this, full transparency, call it right down the middle. Like I say at the onset of every single episode of the Deion Gordon podcast, the Denver Nuggets were a better basketball team than the Los Angeles Lakers. Clearly, without question, unequivocally better in every single facet. Give all the credit in the world to head coach Mike Malone. Recognize and salute and observe the best basketball player alive on the planet today, Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell Pope, who couldn't throw a fucking rock in the ocean sitting by the dock of the bay like Otis Redding when he played for the Lakers. But now, all of a sudden, Contavious Caldwell Pope has morphed into Wardell Stephen Curry. Crazy how that happens. Everybody leaves the Lakers and gets better. I hate that. Give these guys all the credit in the world. Great basketball team. They deserve it. They earned it. They outworked the Lakers. They outplayed the Lakers. They were better. In every single category. Got no issue in saying that. So once again, apologies with all due respect to the Denver Nuggets and anybody who lives in the state of Colorado. Apologies to Dante Bichette, Andres Galarraga, Todd Helton. Apologies. I'm sorry. All right. Accept my apology, please. I love I love the city of Denver. I was there back in December of 2022. That's an awesome fucking city. As a lifelong pothead. I appreciate Denver, Colorado. You can get high anywhere in Denver. 
Colorado was the first state to legalize marijuana, the first state to pull their head out their asses and recognize that marijuana is not a bad thing. Marijuana is a good thing. It should be legal and people should have easy access to it. And Colorado was the first state to figure that shit out. Marijuana lounges everywhere. You can go to Denver, Colorado and pull up to a bar, to a lounge and sit down and watch a football game, a whole Sunday of football games, the whole slate. They do this while smoking joints, consuming edibles, vapes, tinctures, concentrates, whatever. You could have a great fucking time in Denver, Colorado. Amazing hospitality, great people, friendly, affable, outgoing, personable people in Denver, Colorado. I had a tremendous time. I can't wait to go back. I love the city of Denver, Colorado. Denver's all right with me. The altitude wasn't even a problem. The only thing that altitude did for me was get me drunk faster. And there's nothing wrong with that because the faster you get drunk, the less money you spend. Denver's got it all figured out. Every city in America should be 5,280 feet above sea level. Denver, Colorado knows what the fuck they're doing. The mile high city. Emphasis on the word high. Denver, Colorado gets the Deion Gordon seal of approval, even though their basketball team stomped a mud hole in my favorite basketball team and walked it dry. I'm not even mad, not even upset, not even pissed off in the slightest bit. It is what it is. The Lakers began this season 2-10. and 10. The drizzling shit's awful, garbage, abysmal, atrocious, horrendous. They sucked. And yet here they were, all the way to the Western Conference Final. An absolutely improbable run that nobody, myself included, even saw coming a play-in team that was losing the play-in game to Minnesota, of all people. It had to fight from behind to come back and win that game, and the Lakers got all the way to the Western Conference Final. However, in Game 1, it became abundantly clear to me we are outmatched. This team is superior to us. Look at the road the Lakers had to take to get to the Western Conference Final. The first round, you match up against the Memphis Grizzlies. Number one, that's a fractured basketball team full of immature, young basketball players that have no clue what the fuck they're doing. Wet behind the ears, breath smells like Similac. John Morant, we know his issues. Dylan Brooks, come on, let's be serious. And the biggest reason why Memphis lost that series to the Lakers an absence of size on the interior. Brandon Clark, Stephen Adams injured, unable to compete in that series. So Anthony Davis, the 6'11", stretch forward, quasi-center for the Lakers, destroyed Memphis on the interior. Jaron Jackson tried as hard as he could, defensive player of the year, but still it wasn't enough. Anthony Davis, in most of the six games, controlled the, the interior, controlled the paint. It had his way with the smaller Memphis Grizzlies. So you got a fractured team internally that's got a whole bunch of a litany of issues off the court. And then you got a team on the court that's deficient in size. Easy money for the Lakers. And then you move on to round two. Same thing. The Golden State Warriors. A litany, a plethora of issues, internal problems. I mean, you can take it back to before the season even begins. You got the uh, the practice altercation between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole where Draymond knocked him out, and that set the table for how dysfunctional and chaotic the season was going to be for the Golden State Warriors. They never could really get their shit together. They never got on the same page. They were up and down all season, especially you look at their records at home and their record away. 
on the road, terrible basketball team. They couldn't quite figure things out. Steph was injured this season. Clay was not quite himself all the time, and especially in the playoffs. But even bigger than that, the biggest issue that Golden State had, and this was magnified against Los Angeles, they lacked size. Small, diminutive, miniature, petite basketball team. No real presence on the interior. Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, two basketball players I got immense respect for. But they can't, they can't guard Anthony Davis. No way, no how. AD is 6'11", and when AD feels like being aggressive and assertive, there really ain't too many people in the league that can guard him, and especially not a 6'7", 6'6", 4'5", and Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. You know, Draymond's a great defensive player, but he should not be able to guard Anthony Davis whenever AD is fully engaged and invested in what's going on and trying to attack offensively, which unfortunately doesn't always happen. But... A combination of internal friction and not having size on the interior, that's a recipe for disaster against the Los Angeles Lakers. Now you get to the Western Conference Final and you match up against a Denver Nuggets team that doesn't have any of those problems. No internal friction. Very big up front. Huge, massive individuals on that basketball team, highlighted most notably by the best basketball player in the NBA right now, the best in the world, Nikola Jokic, the man who should have been NBA League MVP for a third consecutive season. But it, he wasn't. Obviously, they gave it to Joel Embiid because he bitched, whined, complained, cried, and politicked his way to winning MVP and then disappeared in the playoffs. Nikola Jokic, the exact opposite. Nikola Jokic putting up triple doubles in the Western Conference Final. Nikola Jokic is single-handedly almost eviscerating the Los Angeles Lakers. Nikola Jokic rises to the occasion. Nikola Jokic is an awesome basketball player, and nothing can or should ever be taken away from him. This guy's amazing. And the Lakers had no answer for him. In this series, it became clear to see the Lakers were missing Dwight Howard. The Lakers really could have used a guy like Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee. You go back to the bubble in 2020, the Lakers beat Denver in the conference final at the uh, made-for-TV, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, COVID-19 pandemic, world in shambles, NBA playoffs with no road games and in all intents and purposes was played inside of a television studio. But now, in a real NBA playoffs with no injuries and a clear lack of backup size for Anthony Davis, whenever AD goes to the bench, there's no size coming in after him. Now, you could have said, well, what about Tristan Thompson? What about Mo Bamba? Well, Darvin Ham didn't play Tristan Thompson until game four and didn't play Mo Bamba at all. He didn't play a single minute in the NBA Western Conference Finals. I'm not sure how much of a difference it would have made. A lot of folks were saying that the Lakers found something in game one, playing Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic. They found something momentarily. They found something that would not work for an entire duration of a basketball game for 48 full minutes. Rui Hachimura did a pretty good job on Jokic for about eight minutes, and this allows AD to roam around the paint and contest and provide help defense. But in doing that, Rui Hachimura had four fouls in about eight minutes. 
That's not sustainable. You can't do that for an entire basketball game and hope to be successful. There's no answer. There never was an answer. We thought, foolishly, we thought we had found something because of that, and we cut into that large, massive deficit we were facing in game one on the road in Denver, but we still lost. We lost the game. We are the Los Angeles Lakers. Moral victories should not matter to us. That's not how we get down. We got 17 championships. Fuck moral victories. You don't hang banners for almost winning in Los Angeles. You hang banners for actually winning a championship. And we got 17. 17 championships based on winning. So coming close doesn't matter. If you're a true Laker fan, almost winning should not matter to you. And to say that we found something, it was a myth. It was a fallacy. We didn't find anything. What we found was a, a playoff exit in four games. What we found was a broom because we got swept. That's reality. That's what actually happened. The Lakers got swept. 4-0. Thanks for coming. And yeah, they competed in all four of those games. And you can say that all four of those games could have gone either way. But it didn't go our way. We lost. Game four last night, the Lakers had a 15-point lead at halftime and then lost. Denver comes out the locker room, goes on a 36-16 run, takes the lead and holds on to it and closes the game out in the fourth quarter. Game three, same thing, back and forth. Jokic in foul trouble, and then Jamal Murray takes over, carrying over his output from game two. Jamal Murray was incredible. In the fourth quarter, he pretty much won that game by himself in game two, and then that carried over in the game three, and guys make plays. Michael Porter Jr., another guy, a lottery pick, a guy that's about 6'10", 6'11", Aaron Gordon, no relation, making big-time plays on both ends of the court, offensively and defensively. They got a complete basketball team. Contavious Caldwell-Pope was terrible for us, but he's great for them. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. That's how it goes. Bruce Brown, a guy like him coming in off the bench, the sixth man, they call him the air fryer, the microwave, I guess. Well, I guess the air fryer would be the updated modern version of a microwave. They got a complete basketball team. They're well coached. Mike Malone, an expert strategist. His offense, I love the way Denver plays basketball. They get out in transition no matter what. Make or miss, turnover, foul, doesn't matter. They push the pace of the game. They're constantly in motion and all season long, even though the Lakers had a pretty good defense, I think number one in the playoffs up until the conference finals, the biggest deficiency the Lakers had defensively all season long was transition defense. They don't get back, and Denver knows that. And that's the way Denver plays all the time anyway. I mean, you look at what they did to Phoenix in the semifinals. My goodness. They choke slammed Phoenix through a fucking table in that series. It went six games. I don't know how, but they annihilated the Phoenix Suns, especially in game six on the road in Phoenix. They're always in motion. They're always pushing pace. They're always on the move. And you got to be prepared for that whenever you play against Denver. You got to be able to run. You got to be willing to run all game long. They don't stop. They're constantly on the go. And the Lakers just couldn't do it. The Lakers don't get back on defense for whatever reason. Half-court defense, excellent. Transition defense, pathetic. 
And you can't beat a team as offensively proficient as the Denver Nuggets playing that kind of basketball, being so lazy in your transition defense. You can't do it. And it's not even exclusively just transition offense. You look at the half-court sets that Denver runs. This is what I mean when I say that Mike Malone is an expert strategist. He knows how to get guys open looks. They had open looks all four games. You look at last night, Denver got off to a slow start, but they still like stayed in the game. The Lakers couldn't really blow them out. The Lakers couldn't put them away. And even though the Lakers had a 12-point lead, a 15-point lead at halftime, it doesn't matter. Denver was getting open looks the entire game. Michael Porter Jr. in particular, in the first half, had a litany of wide-ass open looks. The ball just wasn't going in. But in the second half, he was still getting those same looks. This time, the ball went in. Unfortunately for my Lakers, LeBron James. Let's go ahead and get to the meats and potatoes. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about LeBron James. The biggest star in basketball, the most polarizing athlete in the entire sport. Let's talk about LeBron James. Much maligned the first three games of the series. He was not good. Settling for three. Costly, timely turnovers, egregious flopping. He was not playing well the first three games of this series at all. Shooting an abysmal and atrocious percentage from the field, especially from three. The first two games in Denver, he did not make a three, but he kept taking them. He kept shooting threes anyway. For what reason? I don't know. Actually, I do know. He's tired. He's 38 years old. A lot of mileage, a lot of tread on the tires. This guy's in year 20, year 21. It might as well be year 26, 27. He's played a lot of basketball. Ten trips to the NBA Finals, Olympic teams. That's a lot of basketball. High-pressure impactful situations, big-time games this guy's played. I give him all the credit in the world for all the witnesses out there that want to label me a hater of LeBron, that think I don't like LeBron, that think I hate LeBron. There's no hate here. There's no vitriol from me to LeBron James. He's an all-time great basketball player, a living legend, top five ever. The GOATs, no. Top five, top three, yeah, I'll give you that. I can settle for that. That's fine. That's okay. I'm not offended by that. But the GOAT, the greatest player of all time, shut the fuck up. That's not true. But last night, back against the wall, facing elimination, on the brink of your season being over, on the cusp of being swept, suffering that humiliation of being swept out the playoffs for the third time in his illustrious career. LeBron James came out last night like a man on a mission, like a man with his head on fire. He played his ass off. 31 points in the first half, 21 points in the first quarter. Everything he threw up was going in, including an intended lob to the basket, an alley-oop attempt for Anthony Davis. Even that went in, and it was a three. He couldn't miss in the first half. He was awesome. LeBron James turned back the clock the way that we all wanted him to in the first half. He played outstanding basketball in the first half. Take nothing away from him. Finished the game 40 points. A tremendous effort. 
carried the basketball team, put the team on his back. LeBron James last night, vintage LeBron James for two quarters for the first half. The second half, you can see it. It was, it was obvious. It was visible. It was easy to see. Worn down in the second half. Tired, fatigued. If this were NBA 2K, LeBron would have had that Gatorade bottle floating around his feet. He had nothing left. You could see it. I don't even blame him. Now, I hate to be nitpicky, but I will say this. If you're that tired, why are you floating around 30 or 35 feet from the basket, floating around the three-point line? All series long, Denver had no answer for LeBron in the post. Get down in the fucking post. No one can stop you on that team. You know, it's a criticism I personally have always had about LeBron. At his size and strength and physical superiority, how come he doesn't play in the post more often? He's still he's always played the same way, attacking the basket like a bull in a china shop, playing in a phone booth, lowering his shoulder and bulldozing his way to the basket, and no one can stop him. But you look at Jordan and you look at Kobe, when they got older and longer into their careers, and the athleticism was dwindling, they made the adjustment. We're going to play in the post. Air Jordan became ground Jordan in his later years, and he was still highly effective. He still won three championships on the back nine of his career, destroying people in the post, fadeaway jumpers, etc. Kobe, the same thing. Two championships in 09 and 010, when Kobe was no longer the athletic marvel he was at the beginning of his career and in his prime. I always wondered, how come LeBron's not doing that? How come LeBron has not added that to his game on a more consistent level? Why is he only playing? Why is he, why is he still playing the same way he played 10, 15 years ago? Doesn't make any sense to me. It's no different than a pitcher in baseball that starts losing a little bit of velocity on his pitches. So you become craftier. You incorporate different pitches into your arsenal. You no longer rely on that four-seam fastball. Now you incorporate a changeup, a slider, a sinker, that 12-6 Uncle Charlie curveball. Even though you're no longer hitting upper 90s or low 100s on the radar, you can still get people out. You, you now turn into Greg Maddox. You're painting corners. You're being deceptive. You're pitching now. You can pitch now. Early in your career, you were just a thrower, but now you're a pitcher. You've refined your game. You've elevated. You've evolved. LeBron, to me, has never really had a true evolution of his game. Now, he did get better at shooting threes, but not that much better. No one's ever going to confuse him with Steph Curry. So, especially at this time of the season, critical. Second half, facing elimination, down 3-0 at home at Staples. We need this game, obviously. Season on the brink of disaster. And in the second half, he just didn't have it. And I don't even blame him. I'm not even upset about it. I'm more upset at Anthony Davis. AD gave us almost nothing last night. It's one thing if Jokic is beating the dog shit out of you on defense. It's another thing if you can't respond. Game one, 40 points. Everything after that, nowhere close to that. And I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's too inconsistent. It's too Jekyll and Hyde. It's too up and down. It's too much of a roller coaster. 
This guy has the potential and the ability to be an all-time great NBA basketball player. But he can never truly manifest all that. Last night, Jokic puts up a 30-point triple-double. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, one steal, three blocks? Three blocks from a guy never quite known for his defensive prowess. But three blocks last night. AD... 21 points, 14 rebounds, one assist, one steal, three blocks of his own. It's not enough. It's not enough. That's not good enough. You got a senior citizen on your basketball team putting up 40 points, playing his ass off in the first half. You got to know he can't do that anymore the entire game. He cannot sustain that. 31 points in the first half, only nine in the second half. His points went down every quarter. 21 points in the first half, 10 points in the first quarter, I should say, 10 in the second, and then I think, I think like seven in the third quarter and two in the fourth. LeBron's numbers went down every single quarter. In this moment, understanding that if you're Anthony Davis, a younger basketball player in your prime, you got to step up. You got to answer the call. You got to be ready. You got to assert yourself and the guy opposite you is beating your ass. He's killing you. I knew the game was over when Jokic hit a step-back one-legged three late in the game. I said, it's over. We're done. Really, once Denver fought back and took the lead, I said, it's over. Game is over. Because you can see the Lakers' confidence, their will, their, their spirit was broken. They had a 15-point lead. It evaporated instantly in the blink of an eye. It was gone, and Denver playing with full confidence. Denver is ready. Denver knows we are the better basketball team. In the words of legendary sports columnist and ESPN personality Michael Wilbon, one of my favorite quotes in all of sports, there comes a time in every NBA playoff series where both teams recognize and understand who the better team is. We reached that point in game three. Game four, you play because you have to. It's the best four out of seven. But in reality, the series was over in game three. The only hope that Laker fans like myself were holding on to was, well, we lost the first two games close, a narrow loss, two narrow losses on the road in Denver. Game three, going to be back home, L.A., Staples Center, fuck Crypto.com Center, Staples Center. The Lakers are undefeated at home in these NBA playoffs going into game three, and then you turn around and lose that game. It was over. The series was over. At that point, we reached the Michael Wilbon point of the series. Both teams recognized and understood who is the better basketball team. The Denver Nuggets are better than the Los Angeles Lakers. No excuses, no sour grapes, no finger-pointing, no dumbass conspiracy theories. And speaking of that, you know, there was a uh, some post floating around online talking about an NBA script that features the Lakers and Celtics playing in the NBA Finals. I'm sure Adam Silver would prefer that from a financial and marketing advertising standpoint. Absolutely, all the people who work for the NBA and ABC and ESPN would much prefer to get a Lakers-Celtics NBA final. 
it's, it, obviously it's not going to happen. You're going to get a Denver Nugget, Miami Heat, NBA final. But for this dumbass conspiracy theory bullshit floating around about an NBA script, what happened to the script? Did somebody realize that, that the script got out and decided to rewrite the script? Is that what happened? Ooh, I know. The tinfoil hat is on. That's exactly what happened. People realized the script got out, so they changed it. You know, it can't look too obvious. It's no different than magnets in the rim. Someone told me that before. In all honesty and sincerity, in all good faith and consciousness, somebody looked me in the eye in a basketball conversation and said, the NBA is rigged. The NBA puts magnets in the rim to influence who makes or misses shots. If there was a fucking magnet in the rim, wouldn't the ball stick to the rim? What the fuck are you talking about? That's garbage. That's asinine. That's a stupid-ass opinion. Just like an NBA script where everything is already predetermined and already written. Get the fuck out of here, man. The script said the Lakers were going to beat um, Denver in six games. This, this foolish nonsense came out after game three. In order for the Lakers to win, they couldn't lose game three. So what are you talking about? Just garbage. Just stupid-ass opinions. Just watch the games. It's not that hard. Just sit down and watch the fucking games. Stop trying to be the smartest guy in the room and coming up with baseless, nonsensical, stupid, idiotic conspiracy theories that can't be proven. You have no proof. It's all hearsay and conjecture. You don't know what you're talking about. The better basketball team won fair and square. The Denver Nuggets kicked the Lakers' ass. And that's just what it is. Give them all the credit. The game came down to LeBron having two opportunities to win the game. Didn't work out. Uh, the first was a terrible shot on the baseline that hit nothing but the side of the backboard. And then the second, 113 to 111, down by two, chance to win. He drives directly into a double team, directly into Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray. The shot gets blocked, doesn't even go up. And the season ends in a whimper, on a whimper. Just like that, it's over. Some people are pissed off. I'm not. Start the season 2-10, and 10, you finish in the Western Conference Final, and the better team won. You lost to the number one seed. Shit happens. It is what it is. I'm not going to point fingers. Well, actually, I will. Anthony Davis should get the, uh, the brunt of the uh, criticism. And then D'Angelo Russell. And I've backed D'Angelo Russell for a long time. I liked D'Lo coming out of Ohio State in 2015. I said, that's the guy we should take. The Lakers that year had the second pick in the draft. I said, we should take that dude, 6'5", good handle, good shot. He'd be great to come in and get mentored by Kobe. I like the guy. Then we got rid of him, the whole Nick Young situation. He's bounced around the NBA. We get him back, midseason trades. The team gets better. He played pretty well up until the conference final. He was awful. D'Angelo Russell sucked pond water. In the NBA Western Conference Final, complete dog shit. The drizzling shits, he sucked. D'Angelo Russell in the 2023 NBA Western Conference Final, 6.3 points per game, 32.3 field goal percentage, 13.3 three-point percentage, 100% ass. That's nothing. That's below standard, my guy. You are the Laker version of Jordan Poole. That's fucking trash. 
you know what? From this point going forward, nobody with the name Russell is allowed to play for the Lakers. Russell Westbrook was never any good playing for us. Not even 100% his fault. D'Angelo Russell has had two opportunities now to play for the Lakers and has shit the bed both times. Viacom Dios, my friend, go somewhere else and do whatever it is you do. All that ice water in your veins, that shit thawed out, my friend. Get the fuck out of here, man. Garbage. Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, they can stay. They can absolutely stay. D'Angelo Russell, get the fuck out of here. Pack up your shit and go to LAX right now. That's pathetic. Are you kidding me right now? We needed somebody to be the third scorer. And it was Austin Reeves. It wasn't you. It wasn't D'Angelo Russell. He gave us less than nothing. And in the process, more than likely cost himself a lot of money. He played himself out of a contract in the Western Conference Final. At least Jordan Poole got the money already. He got the money based off of last season and then stunk up the joint this season and in this year's playoffs. But at least... At least Jordan Poole is already getting paid. D'Angelo Russell, on the other hand, is trying to get paid, and this putrid performance in the conference final is not going to help out his cause very much. It hurts his cause very much. That sucked. That was nothing. Every single game, I'm waiting and waiting for D'Angelo Russell to wake up and do something and help out and contribute Darvin Ham finally got tired of his shit and benched him. I won't forget this. When D'Lo Russell checked into the game last night, you heard a collective and audible groan from the home crowd at Staples in Los Angeles. There was an audible groan like, oh, fuck, shit. This asshole's in the fucking game now. That's what it, there was no cheers. There was no applause. No, no, no support whatsoever. It was, oh, fuck. Here comes D'Angelo Russell. God damn it. That, that's what it felt like. That's, that's the way it sounded to me. Like, oh, shit. Here comes this dude. What's about to happen now? A bunch of ill-advised shots. No defense whatsoever. The numbers are one thing offensively. Defensively, defensively, he's a cone. He was a, he was a live drill out there. They target him on defense. They went after D'Angelo Russell and got bucket after bucket after bucket. He was a liability out there. D'Angelo Russell in the Western Conference Final was about as effective as a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. D'Angelo Russell in the Western Conference Final was as productive as a solar-powered flashlight. I have more confidence in Caitlyn Jenner behind the wheel of a Cadillac Escalade than I did in D'Angelo Russell in the Western Conference Finals. You have a better chance of hearing Donald Trump admit that he lost the 2020 election fair and square than you do of seeing D'Angelo Russell make a three in the Western Conference Finals. Tristan Thompson contributed more in four minutes of action in the Western Conference Final than D'Angelo Russell did in four games. Russell was so bad I began to pray for him. I haven't been to church in 12 years. We would have been better off with Bronny and Bryce out there playing for the Lakers over D'Angelo Russell. He was that bad. Awful. Pathetic. Good luck on your next team because you're not playing for the Lakers anymore. That ship has sailed. Just flat-out embarrassing. Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. 
Coach Mike Malone, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, etc. Congratulations to them. Good luck going forward. Hey, man, salute. Tip of the cap. You kick my team's ass. I can't even get mad about it. You guys did your job. You did what you were supposed to do. It is what it is, and I'm very happy for Jamal Murray coming back from a torn ACL a couple of years ago. Um, I read a story about two days ago where Jamal Murray, the, the day he got hurt or the day after he got hurt, was talking to Coach Mike Malone and said, are you guys going to get rid of me? Because at this point, I'm damaged goods. And Coach Malone said, no, you belong to us. You are a Denver Nugget. You're not going anywhere. And I thought that was very, very profound and very cool. And, you know, I appreciate it. That's awesome to see and awesome to hear that loyalty to your player and that bond between a coach and player. You don't see that often. That doesn't get publicized. So it's great for Denver. Good luck to you guys going forward. The Lakers going to have to regroup on some levels, uh, cut off that dead weight like D'Lo Russell, um, A.D., I don't even know what to say, man. You're kind of stuck with him. You gave up a lot to get him. It is what it is. Sometimes great. Sometimes he's uh, Popeye Jones and doesn't give you anything. And it's, it's frustrating. It's maddening. It's so irritating because you see the potential. You see the greatness, but he doesn't always deliver. It's too inconsistent. As far as LeBron James is concerned, he came out in the post game and said, I'm not sure about my future. Dave McMenamin from ESPN said that LeBron confided in him that he's thinking about retirements. I'm calling bullshit on that. I think LeBron is selling wolf tickets. I think LeBron is doing that for two reasons. The immediate aftermath of losing guys typically are very emotional. And LeBron is very egotistical and likes to do things to kind of take the attention away from the opposing team and make the story, make the headline about him. Congratulations. It worked once again. All I've heard all day long is LeBron and LeBron's legacy and the Lakers. Barely a mention about the team that beat them. And even as a Laker fan, to me, that's bullshit. I'm not studying that. To me, the credit and the attention and the respect should be given to the winners the team that got the job done, the team that swept the other team, not the team that got swept, the team that had the broom in their hand. That's where the credit, the conversation, and the respect should go. But LeBron, in true LeBron fashion, took that away from Denver. It is what it is. They're moving on, and we're not. Uh, speaking of teams that are moving on and not moving on, the Boston Celtics, are not moving on. The Miami Heat, the surprise Miami Heat, out of nowhere, like an RKO play-in team, almost lost the 8-9 matchup after they did lose the 7-8 matchup to Atlanta. But they rebounded in a game. I was there. I was live in attendance. In a way, you could say this is the Deion Gordon vacation series. The last two times I went out of town to escape the miserable, nondescript, boring, bullshit town known as, known as Mobile, Alabama. It was to Miami and Denver. The last two times I went on vacation, maybe it's me. I'm a good luck charm. Maybe I should have gone to Los Angeles. But my whole reason, well, part of my motivation to venture out of town 
and go to Miami and Denver was to go somewhere I've never been before. I've already been to L.A. numerous times, so I felt no motivation to go there. But I went to Miami, I went to Denver, and what do you know? Those two teams are about to play in the NBA Finals. You're welcome, Nuggets and Heat fans. It's all because of me. Miami, especially in Game 3 against Boston. Miami stole Games 1 and 2 on the road in Boston. And to me, that was the end of the series. Whole different dynamic than the Lakers and the Nuggets because the Lakers are the road team, the lower-seeded basketball team. They're, they're supposed to lose on the road in Denver. You're Boston. You're the two-seed. You're playing against a play-in team. You're supposed to win Games 1 and 2, you're coming off that miracle, not even a miracle, but that landmark victory in Game 7 against Philadelphia, feeling good about yourself, Jason Tatum at 51 points, an iconic performance, and then what? Jason Tatum has not scored a point in the fourth quarter of any of the three Eastern Conference final playoff games. You can't even imagine that. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. How does that happen? A player of his talent, a player of his magnitude, a player of his stature, a top 10 NBA player currently active right now doesn't score in the fourth quarter of NBA playoff games? You can't win like that. Obviously, Boston hasn't won a game yet. They're down 3-0, and game three was a goddamn crime scene. First 48 Miami. Outlined the court in chalk and caution tape. They got sent to another galaxy. They died on the court against the Boston Celtics. That was ugly. That was no limit sneaker ugly. That was Kardashians before plastic surgery ugly. Usually in every NBA game, especially in the playoffs, there's always that moment, that tipping point, where you can identify, you can pinpoint when and where the momentum of the game switched and turned in every game. For the most part, you know when the momentum switched in game three of Boston and Miami? The opening tip-off, the opening tip, it was over. They came out, they washed the Boston Celtics, Miami Heat, the play-in team, the number eight seed, Already upset the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round in five games. Took out the New York Knicks in six games. And now have the number two seed in the NBA Eastern Conference. A team many people, myself included, thought was going to make it back to the NBA Finals. I already apologized to Denver. Now I got to apologize to Miami. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Once again, contrite in my apology. With all due respect, I apologize to Trick Daddy, to Rick Ross, to Pitbull, Trina, JT Money, Soleil, 2 Live Crew, Luke, everybody. I apologize to Dan Marino, Jason Taylor, Bimbo Coles, Alonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway, everybody in Miami. I apologize. I'm sorry. Antonio Alfonseca, Dontrell Willis, Brad Penny, I apologize to all of you. Charles Johnson, I apologize to the city of Miami. The 305 treated me pretty well, too. Had a nice time in Miami. Spent a lot of money, but it is what it is. I apologize to Miami and anybody and everybody. Pat Riley, 
Eric Spolstra, the brain trust, the godfather, Pat Riley. I, I saw a stat earlier that blew my fucking mind. Pat Riley, the great Pat Riley, is about to make his 19th appearance all-time in the NBA Finals as either a player, a coach, or executive. 19 appearances. That means that Pat Riley, as a player, coach, or executive, would have participated in 24.7% of all the NBA Finals ever in history of all time. 24.7% of the NBA Finals has involved Pat Riley in some capacity. Pat Riley has a better chance of making the NBA Finals than D'Angelo Russell does of making a shot in the Western Conference Finals. Are you fucking kidding me right now? That Heat culture is for real, man. That Miami Heat culture is for real. You better be in shape. You better have your mind right. You better be focused and committed on the task at hand, on the business at hand of playing basketball. Seven undrafted players on that team. No one has ever heard of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess before this year's NBA playoffs. These guys are anonymous basketball players. You heard about Jimmy Butler a.k.a. Michael Jordan's illegitimate son. And he's been tremendous. He got that dog in him. Jimmy Butler in the playoffs, I said this before, is a t Jimmy Butler, period, is a top five player in the NBA. I don't give a goddamn what anybody says. I don't care about regular season numbers. I don't care about your triple-double in January versus Orlando. I don't care about your 60-point game in February against Washington. Who cares what are you doing in the playoffs? What are you doing now, this time of the year, this time of the season? Money time, winning time, legacies on the line. This is what we remember. This is what we talk about for posterity, for future generations. Jimmy Butler, top five in the NBA. Nothing more can be said. Bam Adebayo, aggressive, focused, motivated, assertive. Everything I wish... Anthony Davis was consistently. To me, Bam Adebayo has been the biggest key. If Bam, as long as Bam plays at a consistently high level, Boston has no chance. And then you look at the Boston Celtics, another fractured basketball team. It began before the season started. They fired Ime Udoka, the coach who led them to the NBA Finals last season. They fired this man for getting some pussy. Get the fuck out of here. He fucked a co-worker consensually. She agreed to it. It's not rape. It's not sexual assault. It ain't none of that. It's two grown-ass consenting adults agreeing to coitus. That's all it was. Two grown-ass consenting adults agreeing to coitus. Ime Udoka, hey, would you mind letting me put my dick inside of you? White bitch. Okay, sure. Why not? Let's go somewhere and make that happen. That's all it was. I remember when that story broke ESPN talked about that shit incessantly. ESPN talked about Ime Udoka as if he shot someone. All he did was get some pussy. Now, he should have been smarter and realized the value of not taking a shit where you eat. Don't fuck your coworkers if you have a high-profile job. And being the head coach of the Boston Celtics is a pretty high-profile job. But he lost his job because he fucked his coworker. Didn't do anything illegal. Not a, he's not a human sex trafficker. He's not selling drugs. 
No tax evasion. Didn't embezzle money from the company. No wire fraud. Nothing like that. No, no sexual assault. Not a pedophile. Nothing crazy like that. All he did was get some pussy, and he got fired. And then assistant coach Joe Mazzula now becomes the head coach. And it's been clear in these playoffs that Joe Mazzula is not quite ready for prime time. He's in over his head. He's not fully prepared for this. His rotations all playoff long have been head-scratching, questionable. What the fuck are you doing is the question that a lot of Celtics fans, a lot of basketball fans in general have been asking when they watch the Boston Celtics. Go back to that first-round series against Atlanta. They should have won that series in about four games. They struggled. Rotations out of whack, crazy guys on the court that shouldn't be on the court. Team not really focused, not engaged, no killer instinct. Don't even look like they even like each other a lot of times in the playoffs. They look like a lost basketball team. They won that series, but it took six games to beat a play-in team in the Atlanta Hawks. That's pretty fractured in their own right. They fired Nate McMillan earlier this season. Second round against a talent-deficient Philadelphia 76er team. They get pushed to the brink of elimination. They go seven games against a team that's fraudulent, a team that possessed the Bermuda Triangle of failure. Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, James Harden. Philadelphia had a 3-2 lead in that series. Boston's about to be taken out in the second round. Now they come back, they win in seven games. That historic performance by Jason Tatum carried them there, but still, it took you seven games to beat a team that on paper you got every single advantage over. And now we get to the conference finals, and here you are down 3-0 to a play-in team, a team that almost missed the playoffs, and Boston has home court advantage, everything in your favor. You are, same thing, put Boston's roster on a sheet of paper, just sit down, Pencil, paper, pen, whatever you prefer. And write down the names of the Miami Heat players. Do the same thing for the Boston Celtics. Just sit down, get a piece of paper, and write down the names of the Boston Celtics roster. Compare and contrast and tell me who's better. Boston has a better team. Boston has better personnel. I, I, I misspoke. I said that wrong. Let me say it again. Boston has better personnel. Miami is a better team. Belay my last. I'll correct myself. Miami is a better basketball team. Boston has better individual players, and they're not playing as a collective. Boston right now reminds me of black people as a race, an entire group of people. The Boston Celtics remind me of black people. What do I mean by that? We got all this talent. We should be winning, but we don't. Because we're not unified. We can't get on the same page. We lack leadership and direction. We just out here. Just doing shit and not doing shit well. Just all types of fucked up. Miami, on the other hand, united. They are together as one. They have leadership. They have direction. As I spoke about earlier, that heat culture is real. Starts at the very top. The great Pat Riley. Then it comes down to Eric Spoelstra and everybody else. Even a guy like Udonis Haslam, who doesn't even play, but he's a trusted and respected voice in that locker room. The longest tenured Miami Heat. 
on the roster. Been there for a long time, 20 years, 40 years old. People respect Yadonis Haslam. When he talks, they listen. That's just what it is in Miami. And right now, game four is tonight in about two hours. I'm going to go ahead and call it right now. Miami is going to the NBA Finals. And the Boston Celtics will be a tremendous disappointment. They've been running around all season talking about unfinished business. As a matter of fact, in the playoffs, they got T-shirts on for the guys on the sideline, on the bench. T-shirts that say unfinished business. You know who Boston reminds me of? And I really hate to say this. It wouldn't be me if I didn't figure out a way to integrate the 49ers into every conversation. The Boston Celtics remind me of the San Francisco 49ers. A team that gets close. This is the fourth time in the past five years the Boston Celtics have reached the conference finals. Similar to the 49ers. Three times in four seasons, the 49ers got as far as the NFC Championship game. Boston got to the NBA Finals last year and lost in six games to Golden State. The 49ers got to Super Bowl 54 and lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. Both teams, both franchises, been knocking on the door for years and got nothing to show for it. The Boston Celtics are the football or the basketball version of the San Francisco 49ers. I remember in 2020 coming off that Super Bowl loss. So many 49er fans, even 49er players themselves, adopted this mantra, this slogan of revenge tour. 2020 NFL football season is going to be our revenge tour. Revenge for what? You're the ones that choked and failed and blew a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl. Who are you seeking revenge against? What are you talking about? And then in 2020, the 49ers go 6-10 and and miss the playoffs. Boston, the same thing. Unfinished business, you're about to lose in the Eastern Conference Final. Bad things happen when you're stuck in the previous season. Last season is last season. Let it go. It's over. Put that shit in the rear view mirror. It's done. Move on. The next season does not begin where you failed. The next season begins at step one, at game one, preseason practices, Opening tip-off, opening night, you got to start all over again and try to get back to where you were the previous season. But the, the previous season has no effect on this current season. Miami doesn't give a fuck about your unfinished business. They got unfinished business of their own. This is a rematch of last year's conference finals. Miami lost. They ain't losing this time. This series is over. It could be tonight. It could be in game five, game six. It doesn't matter. Either way, the Miami Heat are going to advance to the 2023 NBA Finals. Nobody saw that coming unless you are the most diehard, ardent supporter of the Miami Heat. Unless you've been a fan since Ronnie Cycli and Bimbo Coles. That's two Bimbo Coles references in one podcast. I guarantee you nobody saw that coming Unless you are a true diehard Miami Heat fan, since Harold Miner, Baby Jordan, you didn't see this shit coming at all. Salutes and respect is due. All praise is due. Respect should be given to Miami and what they have accomplished and what they can possibly accomplish in the NBA Finals. Jimmy Butler, can't say enough about that guy. 
Um, one of my favorite players in the NBA. Not only is he a top five player based on talent and ability and production, but for me personally, one of my top five favorite players in all of basketball. I'm a huge Jimmy Butler fan. He's always been awesome to me. Love his story, his background. This guy truly got it out the mud. He came from nothing. He was homeless at one point, and now look at him right now, a top five player in the NBA about to lead his team to the NBA Finals for the second time in three seasons. It's remarkable. It's outstanding. It's very impressive. It's awesome. Uh, as a basketball fan, I can appreciate what other guys are doing in other circumstances, situations, teams, environments, whatever. If you're a great player and you play at a high level, I'm always going to acknowledge that and salute that and support that, unless you're kicking the Lakers' ass. But but even if you are, like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic just did, I can still acknowledge your greatness. I'm a basketball fan before anything else. So it's been great, and... I guarantee nobody saw this coming. Miami and Denver, it might not be great for ratings. It might not be great for Commissioner Silver and the NBA brass and all the TV network executives and corporate shareholders. It might not be so great for them, but for true basketball fans, for people who consider themselves basketball purists, I think it's going to be a great series. And hopefully it goes about six, seven games or so. We'll see what happens. But with all of that being said, this concludes this edition of the Dion Gordon Podcast. Eternally grateful, always humble, and very much appreciative Los Angeles Lakers. You should have tread lightly like a woodpecker with a headache. Until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.